Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. This morning, the title of my message is This Is Love. And uh, it really is at the core of our faith. God's love for us, our love for others, our love for God. It's what identifies us as God's people, the way that we love one another. And so I want to start with um, part of a prayer that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 3 and 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I don't know, well, I know a lot of you, but I don't know what's brought you here this morning. But there's one thing that you need to know. There is one thing that God would want you to know this morning. And that is that his love is high. His love is wide and long and deep. And the most basic of truths that we need to embrace is that God loves you. Whatever's brought you here this morning, the most important truth that we can share with you today is that God loves you. Maybe for some of us who have walked a journey of faith for many, many years and even decades, maybe we need a fresh revelation of how much God loves us. And I want to help you understand something today, and it's this that the essence of our Christian faith is actually not based on how much I love God. And yet how much we seem to promote at times that that is the basis of our faith. Every aspect of our Christian lives must be lived out of a deep revelation of how much God loves us. 1 John 4 and 9, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I hope you caught that. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And friends, can I say this this morning? It is not your love for God that makes this thing work. It is God's love for you. Because the reality is, and I don't know why, but God, when He designed us and put all the pieces of our lives together, for whatever reason, He chose that the seat of our spirituality and the seed of our emotional life seems to occupy a very, very similar space. 
So much so that we wrongly assess how we're doing spiritually by how we're feeling emotionally. But who knows that our emotional life is this incredible roller coaster? And sadly, we make the mistake too much at times of assessing our standing with God, our position with God based on how we're feeling emotionally. If we're riding the, the crest of the wave, feeling really good and solid emotionally, it's in that place we actually feel really connected to God. But then if we fall into a bit of a pit through life and through circumstances, stuff happens. In that low place, it's a mistake to equate that with how we're doing spiritually. I'm feeling low, so I must be disconnected and somehow distanced from God. And it's not the case. That is just the sad reality of our emotional life, our emotional journey. And I praise God that our status as God's kids is not based upon human emotion, the highs and the lows. I love you, God, today. Today, I don't really feel that close to you at all. I, I, I love God today and it's a Sunday, so I'm going to come and raise my hands higher and sing louder than everybody else. But then if I have a terrible week and I come to church and I'm down here in the trough of my emotional low, then I'm just sticking my hands in the pocket and I'm not singing for nobody. God's love is the purest form of love, as Beck said a bit earlier. God's love is just rock solid. God is not given to emotional highs and lows and emotional extremes. Who is thankful for that? In fact, the Bible says God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He just loves us. And it's a pure love. And it is this pure love that is the basis of the security of our standing with God. Are you getting it? He just loves you. He loves you. He just loves you. 1 John 4 and 19 says, We love because He first loved us. We love, it's a response, because He first loved us. And again, if it's about our effort, if it's about how much I love God, God would be saying, no, 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 it's not. It's not about what you do for me. It's about what I have done for you. But so often we get caught up in this trap of thinking, I've just got to try harder. I've just got to do more. I've got to be more. Nothing we do for God will ever work if it's not out of deep revelation of how much God loves us. Everything we do for God is based on a beautiful revelation of how much God loves me. And if it's not from that place, it's going to become really, really hard work. And we start complaining about, well, how much I've got to do this and how much I've got to do that. It's out of this revelation of God's love for me. God, I just want to do it because I know you love me and I know others need to have that revelation themselves. We love because he first loved us. If we don't grab this, then whatever Christian journey or Christian walk we're on, it's just going to become disciplined religion if we don't have a beautiful, full revelation of how much God loves for us. 
Our love for him is a response of embracing his love for us. And it saddens me that so many people get spiritually exhausted because they're making it all about what I've got to do for God. And oftentimes that's coming out of a a place of condemnation where the devil says, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you're not enough. Look at the perfection of God. Look at your imperfection. You just got to try harder. And the devil loves for us to wear ourselves out doing that. And we make it such hard work, it actually becomes really miserable. I think I said this a few weeks ago in our prayer series. You know, I, I, and again, it's something that makes me really, really sad, where you can meet people who are Christian, but there is such a darkness and a heaviness to them because they've exchanged the bondage of sin for the bondage of religion. And it's all about, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to keep this, and I've got to keep that. And there is such a, a heaviness and a legalism to them. There's no joy, and there's no freedom, and they become miserable. There's no happiness. They can't even laugh or smile. Friends, when we have a revelation of God's love, our lives discover a whole new purpose. We discover a whole new sense of security, a sense of being, and from that can come an incredible sense of joy. Here's the same text again from the Amplified Version. Ephesians 3 and 17. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love. There it is, foundational. Be fully capable of comprehending with all of the saints, God's people, the width and length and height and depth of His love. Fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. What's the key in this passage to experiencing the fullness of God and the fullness of His Holy Spirit? Again, it is just simply a revelation of God's love. And if you can fully grasp God's love for you, if you can fully grasp grasp the, the, the depth and the length and the width of the love of God, this is the key to actually becoming fully, fully overwhelmed by the presence of God Himself through His Holy Spirit in your life. And in that place, you discover the fullness of His presence and the fullness of His peace and the fullness of His care and the fullness of His joy and the fullness of His compassion and the fullness of God's grace and God's wisdom and God's power. Friends, God loves you. And you got to know, He loves you on a good day. He doesn't love you any less on a bad day, as Beck said earlier. She didn't read my notes. He loves your strengths. He loves your weaknesses. God loves you when you're walking close to Him, but He even loves you just as much when you're far off from Him. And there is nothing that you can do in your life that would make Him love you any less. Romans 8 and 38, the Apostle Paul says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the powers, we got it, Uh, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Or Deuteronomy 31 and 8, the Lord Himself 
goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Friends, the depth of God's love for you and the truth of His Word says He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God's love for you will never, ever change. He doesn't just like you. He loves you. He doesn't just care about some things in your life and pay your attention when you, you know, turn up on Sunday morning in your good clothes. He cares about every aspect of your life. He's not just interested in you when you're good. He's interested in you when you are having the worst day of your life. Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate expression of God's love for you. And again, God's not just interested in your Sunday life, your spiritual life when you show up to church and do all the right things. God's actually very, very invested. He cares deeply for every facet of your life, your physical well-being, your mental health, your emotional well-being. God is interested in you being all that He has created you to be. And this is the fullness of God dwelling in you. And the key to all of this again, and you're going to take this home because I'm going to say it a million times, is a revelation of how loved you are. God loves you. And I want to look at something really interesting and make a bit of a comparison of two of Jesus' closest disciples. Peter and John, because we actually find in the gospel accounts a really interesting comparison. So we're going to pick up the story at a pretty intense time. This is the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper traditionally. It's the final meal that Jesus has with his closest disciples. And all the images we have in our head of this final meal probably don't even begin uh, in any way um, to, to depict what really went on because it was a pretty intense and confusing time. And Jesus is saying some things that the disciples were struggling to comprehend. And then there was talk of betrayal and all this sort of stuff going on around the table. So this wasn't guys reclining on cushions drinking wine. This is a pretty full-on intense conversation. Judas has just been exposed as the one who would betray Jesus. And, and he had left the picture. Picking up from John 13 and 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. And you commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So here we have Peter declaring his love for Jesus. 
And I guarantee in that moment, Peter's going, Jesus, you know the strength of our relationship? The strength of our relationship is actually about how much I love you. In fact, I love you, Jesus, so much. I would lay my life down for you, Jesus. That's how much I love you. So Jesus, you can be pretty secure in our relationship. Jesus says, well, that's great, Pete. And uh, it's well intended. But even by the end of the day, you're going to deny me three times. And at the same time that we have Peter boldly declaring the, the measure of his love for Jesus, we have John. The Bible describes John as the apostle or the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That sounds fine until you realize it's actually John describing himself. Five times in the Gospel of John. The disciple whom Jesus loved. That sounds like a really arrogant thing to say, doesn't it? See, there's Peter over in the corner going, Jesus, you can count on me, my love for you. I tell you what, I would die for you. And here is John, the disciple Jesus loved, describing himself, leaning back against Jesus. But here's the point. It's not arrogance. It's revelation. Here is Peter professing his love for Jesus. Jesus, I would do anything for you. I would die for you. And here is John with a revelation of how much Jesus has done for him. It wasn't that Jesus loved John more than his other disciples. It's just that John actually got it. The proof of that is actually as you fast forward to the cross. Hours later, where do we find Peter? Where do we find John? Well, Peter, the one who professed his great love for Jesus. Jesus, I'm sticking with you. I will die for you. He's denied him and deserted him. He's gone. He's out of the picture. But John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one with the revelation of how much Jesus loves him, is there at the foot of the cross. He is the only disciple recorded as being at the foot of the cross as Jesus hung there dying. There he is in the darkest hour of Jesus' life. Jesus crucified. None of the other disciples around him. But here is John, faithful, consistent, still hanging in there where everything else seems lost. Because the strength of his faith was not his profession of love for Jesus. The strength of his faith was a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. Does that make sense? And friends, you and I, we are going to struggle. We're going to be inconsistent. We're going to be up and down in our walk with Jesus until we begin to see ourselves in the same way. That you are the disciple that Jesus loves. That Peter Shirley is the disciple that Jesus loves. That men, you might be the husband that Jesus loves. Or the women, you might be the wife whom Jesus loves. 
You're the parent that Jesus loves. You're the child that Jesus loves. You're the business person that Jesus loves. You're the student Jesus loves. And in Jesus' darkest hour, Peter is gone, but there is John standing fast because he just had this revelation. Jesus, you love me. There's nowhere else I want to be. So here's the big question this morning. Do you know that Jesus loves you? I mean, do you know it? I'm not talking about an academic understanding. Well, yeah, I've read it in the Bible. I've heard other people say it. Do you actually feel it in your life? Do you feel it in the midst of your circumstances? Do you feel it in your attitudes and reactions? Does it actually impact every area of your life? Or is it something that I just sing about occasionally, but it hasn't actually taken root in my heart? And I'm just trying to love him more and trying to do more and trying to work really hard at this thing. Friends, it's not about doing. It's about us simply responding. You know, a natural response for a child when that child feels secure in love shown towards them is to actually love back in response. When a child knows their father loves them, they respond to that love by loving. We've got our little granddaughter Phoebe in the house this morning, which is a bit of a joy. We've had her up the whole weekend. It's been pretty cool. And I've got to say, and I fully expected it, for some reason I just have... Um, uh, my, my encounter with young babies is never generally terribly favourable. Something about this they don't like and they scream. <laughs> and I was expecting that's how it was going to be with Phoebe. And to be honest, it was... We can go home right now. <laughs> but what's really cool now, because I've been loving and gentle towards her, now she smiles and giggles and, and even occasionally reaches out for me to take her, which is really cool because love builds trust. And if somebody knows you love them, then our capacity to be able to trust them stems from that love. Same with God. If you know that you know that you know that God loves you, you'll be able to trust him. Even in those times of uncertainty, even those times as we've been unpacking through the prayer series where we just don't know what God's doing. When we are feeling like a David hiding from the enemy in the cave in the back end of the desert, we just say, God's here. He hasn't forsaken me. And even in the midst of me not understanding what's going on, I can trust him. And it's going to be okay. Because I know he loves me. 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And that's true of God. Because God's love for you is perfect. And so as we come to trust the nature of God's perfect love, fear is dispelled. I'm going to ask the team to come back. If you feel loved by God, you'll find it so much easier to trust him. If you don't feel loved by God, you'll always be wondering, well, does God actually care about me in this moment? Can I actually take God at his word? And until you have this revelation, just like John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
until you have that revelation, you're going to be up and down and all over the place because you're trying to make sense of it based on your love for him instead of this wonderful, liberating revelation that God loves me. And as I said when I started, our love for him will never be enough because our love is always inconsistent. It's always impacted by our circumstances. Sometimes it's on fire, sometimes it's lukewarm at best, but God's love for you never changes. I'm not a, I'm not a fisherman, but I have been in a number of boats uh, to my detriment uh, because I do get a little bit motion sick or tend to. And we know, I think most of us who have been on a boat, if you're feeling that way, the first thing you're told to do is to look at the horizon. So when everything is going up and down, when everything is crazy, when everything is all over the place, you look at the constant, the thing that doesn't move, the thing that doesn't change. And this principle applies to God and His love for us. I'm going to get my eyes off the circumstance. Even if I don't understand, even if I wonder where is God in the midst of this, and actually just look to the constant, which is God's love for me. And suddenly everything finds its equilibrium again. Suddenly we're not feeling the effects of the circumstance because my eyes are on Him. Jeremiah 31 and 3 reminds us, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Friends, whatever it is that you might be going through, God is there and He loves you. And when we start getting this revelation of how much God loves us, we can move from this position of just fighting hard and fighting hard just to try and believe to a position of just wonderfully trusting God. We find that stability, that consistency, that steadfastness. So as we close, what are you building your life on? In regards to God, do you think, well, I just don't make the grade, so I better work really, really hard to try and impress Him? disciplined religion or do we just have the freedom and the liberty of God you just love me because you love me and that leads to fullness it's not an excuse but it's the place of a healthy relationship with God and the things the benefits that flow from that give us the strength and the courage as it was with John, to be the last man standing in Jesus' darkest hour. Not because I got it, but because I just know how much He loves me and there's nowhere else I want to be. Friends, the Father's love for you is greater than you can possibly imagine. And maybe for someone here this morning, you need to reach out and accept that, receive that for yourself.